Broad Concept Podcast by Ella. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1. Drum rolls, please. Carbon credits in mitigating climate change. I'm sitting across Brian, who's a dynamic individual with a diverse background. Quite diverse, I tell you. He serves as a co-founder and CEO of Vast Carbon, specializing in unlocking Africa's carbon markets by addressing participation bottlenecks. Simultaneously, he also holds position as managing partner at Bayes Consulting, a forward-looking consultancy firm that collaborates with businesses to harness the potential of disruptive uh, technologies. With over nine years of experience in finance, including um, derivatives trading and teaching, he's pursuing a PhD, guys, a PhD in blockchain and deep reinforcement. My goodness, Brian, this is a lot. Eh? Eh, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to unpack a lot. But yeah, he's pursuing a PhD in blockchain and deep reinforcement learning to enhance energy access in Africa. He's definitely doing the Lord's work, I, tell, I dare say. Brian is deeply committed in leveraging technology for positive impact, particularly in the realms of carbon markets and universal energy access. Guys, class is in session because we're going to unpack quite a lot. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? Hi, Ella. How are you? Um, you look so chill, so calm, but then you have all these things that you're doing. When do you get time to do all these things? As you say, the Lord's work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then let's just start by unpacking the elephant in the room. What are carbon credits and how do they work? Okay, so I think, do you want the short version or the story version? Give us the story version and then give us the short version. Okay, so consider yourself to be an organization in the manufacturing space, for instance. All right. Because of you doing your activities. Mm -hmm. You're burning fossil fuels, for instance, to run your machines. That then leads to you emitting carbon into the atmosphere. And these carbon and other gases have a very adverse effect on the uh, environment. environment. Sorry. Okay. Yes. So you need to be able to undertake an, uh, an activity that will sort of mitigate the carbon that you're emitting. So something that will be able to absorb. Example, mm -hmm. planting trees. Mm -hmm. So I want to find Ella. Ella is a person who has... 100 acres, can I hear an amen? <laughs> somewhere, <laughs> amen. <laughs> somewhere in Kiambu, for instance, yeah. and she wants to be able to plant trees. So me as a company can approach her and tell them, I will need to be able to pay you X amount of dollars to encourage you to keep on planting trees. And I like the dollar part. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the carbon that those trees will absorb, I will go towards offsetting what I emitted during my uh, activities. That financial tool that facilitates that transaction yes. is a carbon credit. Okay, so um, I'm, I'm the owner of the land, but mm. you are the one who's emitting this carbon in the environment. So you're going to pay me or you're going to work together with me yes. in ensuring that I plant or we plant, say for instance, trees mm -hmm. or uh, undertake an activity that is going to offset the carbon. Yes. Um, and the thing that mitigates or the in-between of your emitting and my offset is now the carbon credit okay. quick study you are okay i'm smart right <laughs> yes, <you are. laughs> so then what is the different what about the short answer is there a short answer or no that captures so it that's the one you, you when you asked define carbon credits Carbo to yeah. max that's the <laughs> that, one, that that's the one i'm gonna give <laughs> yes ah fantastic so then what's the difference between carbon credits and carbon neutrality or carbon offset okay is it the same thing so carbon offset and carbon credits are pretty much the same thing. Okay. Carbon neutrality is a concept that companies would endeavor to offset any activity that they're doing that emits carbon. Okay. They would mitigate it 100%. So when you're, you're carbon neutral when 
let me try to use this terminology, your footprint, which okay. is how much carbon you're emitting, yeah. is offset by a certain uh, carbon reduction or avoidance activity. So okay. carbon neutrality is that concept of your company will not have a carbon footprint. It will be zero. Ah, uh, okay. So if, I, if I'm putting out 10, then I'm offsetting with 10. 10 so I'm yes. at a neutral. Okay. Exactly. Clear. But then as I was also doing my research and as we were having this conversation prior to the recording of this podcast, you also did mention carbon markets. Okay. What are carbon markets? Okay. Carbon markets are, I can say, the financial infrastructure yeah. that facilitates the buying and selling of these carbon credits. It's sort of the avenue that will then make it possible for that organization, so me who was emitting mm-hmm. and you who's avoiding or mm-hmm. reducing, mm-hmm. to facilitate that transaction. So okay. it can be... And these markets have, have advanced quite a little bit, yeah. and I can get into a bit of details. So if you look at, there are two types of markets right. in carbon. Mm-hmm. There's what you call the voluntary carbon markets, mm-hmm. and there's what you call the compliance markets. The voluntary carbon markets fit in very well to the story that we had a discussion with, okay. which is you're not obliged by regulation, or in certain times you are, but predominantly not. You're ESG conscious, so environmental. you have an environmental, social, and governance framework around your operations as a company, mm-hmm. and you think for the benefit of the environment, I would want to offset my carbon footprint. So you find a person like right. who plants trees, who does regenerative farming practices, or anything that just takes carbon dioxide out of the air. And then the voluntary carbon markets will be the framework that will support the two of you to do the transaction. Mm-hmm. At a country level, that's where compliance markets come in. A lot of the countries have signed up to something called the Paris Agreement, right? which is an agreement by most of the countries to say that by a certain time, we will have reduced our greenhouse gases by X percent. Consider a country like Kenya, for instance. Mm-hmm. Us being a developing country, we don't emit as much uh, CO2. So when you're saying we are putting a cap of, let me use numbers, 100 tons yeah. of carbon, was yeah. what we were allowed to emit as a country. Okay. But during the course of the year, we emit 50. Yeah. We are left with an extra 50. 50. A country like the US yes. or even UAE has been given a cap of 100. Yeah. But because of the activities, they go over and above. Over, over and above, uh, yes. There, there will be a requirement for them to anything extra, find yeah. another country yes. that has not utilized the carbon credits assigned to them Correct. and use it to mitig- uh, offset your carbon. So the compliance markets are the markets that facilitate you doing that okay. and they are more at a government to government level so okay. sometimes when people talk about carbon markets yes. there's a bit of a confusion between those two because there are a few modalities around how that works yeah but in general anytime a person asks you about carbon markets that distinction i think is important to is, know and you yeah. can use it now as, as something when a person asks you what about carbon markets <laughs> then go ahead and explain to them the difference between the two Okay, all right. Um, and is this a global thing? Is it um, something that is there in every country in the world, the compliance bit of it? Yes, most countries have signed up to this. It's a global initiative. So long as you're a signatory, there's a time US was not a signatory when Trump was a president, but right. then that came back yeah. up again. So all of them are, most of them are there and you're able to then facilitate that transaction. On the voluntary carbon market side, mm-hmm. It's mostly been a, an area that has participated. Most of the buyers have come from Western countries. Right. The Global South has been responsible for facilitating S- the... This uh, for them. Yes, yes. These, these activities that absorb carbon yeah. are the things that we are monetizing a lot. Because you're mm. finding yourself 
because of industrialization, all those things. Yes. We are not where we are supposed to be. So on an industrialization perspective, we're still behind. We're still behind. Yeah. And most countries in the West have gone over and above right. the allowed emissions. Mm-hmm. So they're coming into the global south, for instance, and trying to find projects from the continent yes. that they can support to help them offset the carbon footprint. So within the voluntary carbon markets, most of the time we've served as a supply right, of, of course. The projects. And yeah. then most Western countries have bought. You don't see a very big push from local companies no. to be... <laughs> <laughs> we have too many problems, let me we put it that way, <laughs> for us to just try and do that. But I almost feel like it's an opportunity for us to then tap into this finance that's coming into this space yes. to help us run some of the activities and take climate positive initiatives without burdening the government a lot towards allocation of that from the national budget. You can leverage this new financing infrastructure that then comes and helps union litigation outcomes. Does it have problems? Well, hopefully. Well, let's see how that goes. Then you'll probably ask me. Okay. Um, In addition to that, then tell us how then do carbon markets contribute to the reduction of greenhouse gas emission? Okay. So most of and most of the CO two that is in the atmosphere. Yes. And just to clarify. GHG, greenhouse gas emissions. Carbon is the most predominant uh, gas under greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah, actually I was about to ask you, why are we always so focused on CO2? But it's fine, just go ahead. Okay, so carbon is the most common uh, greenhouse gas. Mm -hmm. But the other gases that are actually more potent, for instance, methane, is, I think by my numbers, 28 or 29 times more potent than CO2. CO2. Nitrous oxide as well is one of those. The things called hydrofluorocarbons, Mm -hmm. some of the gases that are used in your fridges, for instance. So We're just chilling with those (laughs) gases in our households. Former fridges, let me just be clear on that. Former, okay. Okay. Fridge from the older days. Mm -hmm. So the idea around it is, in terms of how carbon markets help with that, is it's called carbon markets mostly because... In my opinion, yes. it's easier for you. If I told you methane markets, you yeah, know, I'd be like, what? So carbon is the most common greenhouse gas. Yes, It's easier on the messaging, I think, comes out that clearly. You can actually associate most of the human activities does end up emitting carbon at the end of the day, carbon okay. dioxide. So it's almost as if the name yeah. fits. Yeah. And what the markets then are able to do is for us to support the last two years, let me give you an example. Last mm-hmm. two years, I live in Athi River. Yes. <laughs> Seeing rain <laughs> is <laughs> like an activity. <laughs> that, <laughs> and I'm sure it's, it's, it's cut across the country and even globally, I think we've seen a lot of the effects of climate change yes. affecting us a lot of the time. And we have to take a positive step towards reducing these greenhouse gases. Mm-hmm. You're going to ask companies, you're going to ask countries to undertake activities that will have them change what they consider business as usual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for you to do that, a lot of money needs to be put into that. Absolutely. Yes. So if you're going to make a positive move towards being climate positive or climate conscious, there is a capital element that comes in, which it's is what we call climate finance now. Right. Yes. So carbon markets, in essence, act as a tool that facilitates the flow of climate finance to where it is needed. Okay. Without having such a framework, mm-hmm. then it becomes difficult for you as well as a farmer planting trees somewhere for you to have access to that finance to continue doing your activities. Right. Yes. So I, carbon markets, I would say, are, are an enabler. 
All right. To bring in the necessary capital to where it is needed so that you can t- undertake the activities that will the then absorb yes, yeah. okay. the carbon. Okay, my next question then would have been, what are the economies of scale when it comes to carbon markets and carbon credits? And I think you've broken it down, not unless there's anything else you'd like to add. No, 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 no. no. I like your question because yes. <clears throat> over the course of us doing uh, the work we do, yes. so I can even get into a bit of what we do at Vast Carbon. Actually, yeah. Yes, V-R-S-T, Vast Carbon. So mm-hmm. when I got into the space, there yes. are not a lot of local players who are delving into this space. Are there still any? No, really? No. Okay. I dare say we are <laughs> <laughs> among the first in this space okay. who've made significant strides mm-hmm. along this. I have a short memory, Ella, before I go on a tangent. Just remind me the question I'm about to answer. <laughs> <laughs> what then are the economies of scale? Economies of scale, yes. good. So when you're working on, uh, on a vast carbon, the president has been very particular about this carbon conversation. As you can see, Kenya has been at the forefront. Our president sits at the Council, mm-hmm. like as a chairman for the Carbon Council for African Heads of States. Mm-hmm. And it's been a very big message, at least for us, to take the first step towards not playing victim to what climate. <clears throat> and this is a very controversial issue, and I would be happy to get into it. Yes. But how do we then start taking a forward step and be more proactive towards our solutions? Mm-hmm. In doing so, a lot of people have started hearing what carbon is, what carbon. And so you're finding ourselves at vast carbon, finding people who at an individual level, are planting trees, for instance. Yes. And they're asking us, <coughs> I keep hearing about this carbon credit. Yes. And I hear that if I plant trees, I'll be able to get money. So a lot yeah, of people, where's the money? Where's the money? Mm-hmm. So tell me what I need to do for me to be to able get to get access money. to this yeah. money. That, that's been most of our conversation. And I think most people, when they're looking at carbon markets, they're looking at it as planting trees. Trust me, there are many activities. There the things called sectoral scopes. Okay. The different kind of activities that you can do that then sequester carbon from the atmosphere. Okay. Planting trees is one of them. Mm-hmm. Renewable energy among one of them. Mm-hmm. Farming practices, CTC. Mm-hmm. But most people are aware of only planting trees. So at an individual level, we've gotten a lot of requests as a person saying, I have one acre here, two acres here. Yes. I want to do carbon credits. It's so disheartening <laughs> when I have to tell a person that, realistically speaking, even if you're doing something around this piece, mm-hmm. it's at an individual level, the scale does not make sense. Wow. So at an individual level, if you're having one, two acres, 10 acres maybe, but realistically speaking, no person will take that. So we found ourselves in a situation where a lot of people are interested, are curious to try this, but they just don't know how do we start doing this. And at an individual level, if you're trying to do it as a concerted effort by yourself, Mm -hmm. economies of scale don't make sense. Mm -hmm. So how we decided to look at it is how do we then leverage an aggregation framework? Okay. All of you are planting trees. There's enough of a common commonality among all of you. Right. I can create an aggregation framework where Ella with her one acre, someone yes. else, me with my 10, someone else with a collectively mm-hmm. economies of scale then kick in. Okay. The challenge with that is, and we experience this. Yes. Bringing people together is not easy. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of group work in school. <laughs> exactly. And then the frameworks that support something like that are still in the process of being developed. Right. There are some aggregation frameworks that have been created, but they almost require a minimum size mm-hmm. for you to be aggregated at an organization level. Mm-hmm. But when you're going at an individual level, there has to be a lot more work that you're doing. And we've decided to sort of try and tackle this. How would, how do you, for instance, work with cooperatives? A lot of farmers belong to a certain cooperative group. right? And that cooperative group has done a lot of work towards aggregating those uh, farmers and creating a value addition system mm-hmm. that then incentivizes the farmer to work with you. Yes. And you're aligned in terms of your common goal. 
So working with them to then do the aggregation then starts making sense for the farmer. Because now you're having a framework that we can support so that when the carbon credits are being sold, one of the things the carbon market has been accused of is mm -hmm. the lack of transparency. Right. Sometimes you're doing things, the community does not have an understanding of how that works. Stakeholder engagement has not been done really well. Mm -hmm. There's no clear frameworks of how once you've sold your carbon credits, the revenues are going back to the community. Yes. How do you track what community projects they're supporting? So the, all those frameworks become a challenge. But when you start working with a cooperative, mm -hmm. they have a, you at least have, have some a bit of structure. A bit of structure where yeah. even when you're working with them, they can be your conduit to the farmer. Right. And they're the conduit to you. Once the carbon credits have been sold, you can then have a clear channeling framework yes. to the community. I've given you the very short version. And, and the very <laughs> that's easy, a very short. <laughs> yes, that's a very. There are a lot of there are a lot of complexities that come around that, mm -hmm. and depending on whether you want to get into that, we'll be happy to unpack it. But I almost feel like that is a framework that will then support at an individual level for players to then come into this space and start participating. Mm. We had just had a tree planting initiative; mm -hmm. it became a holiday. Yes, and I have this problem with tree planting. Yes, I'd prefer we do tree growing. Okay. Because most of the time, you're finding a situation where you guys are called collectively. Yes. You're given seedlings. Yes. Or then you go plant your trees. Of course. Whew. That's it. That's it. I planted my tree. Where? Ella. We'll get into that as we okay. proceed. No yes. problem. So the, the, <laughs> <laughs> the issue then becomes, what are the frameworks to ensure that this tree, because a tree will have three to five year growth plan. Okay. And... My numbers might be wrong for the people who have details, but I think close to 60% of it, these initiatives don't end up panning out as they're supposed to be because mm -hmm. they're not structures that are supporting initiatives yeah. of that nature. So being able to take up... I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know if I should say my opinion. Okay. It wasn't a concerted effort. Yes. The government could have done a better job at encouraging it to be a tree-growing initiative so that yes. not everyone is coming. I didn't have enough seedling, for instance, yeah. you had to buy. Not everyone can be able to do that. Mm -hmm. There's not a clear framework of how this, that should be distributed to the... Okay, but it's a positive it's, step. Yes. But if you're able to now start doing that and have practices that make it sustainable, mm -hmm. then you're into the conversation of carbon. Because that now people can attract uh, finance into the continent to support these initiatives because they know this is a sustainable project. It won't be that... Every year you're asking something of me to run the project. Yes. You're almost getting a framework that supports the sustainability of such initiatives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, Brian, to add on to what you have said and um, some of the questions that you had answered earlier, you you do mention a lot this funding that is coming, even if we do not reach, you know, our quote-unquote 100 uh, in terms of carbon emissions and these countries are coming to sort of offset by funding initiatives that are happening in the global south. So there's a lot of funding, funding, funding. But does it actually happen or is it just talk? Imagine actually it does happen. It does happen? It does happen. There are a lot of projects and we can get into it, a lot of projects. Last time I checked by one of the registries yes. and we can get into it, registry the people who actually are in charge of issuing the carbon credits. Mm -hmm. I think we have between 250 to 300 projects mm -hmm. just in Kenya. Oh, just in Kenya undertaking one form or another of carbon credits. So that okay. finance does reach. The devil is in the detail. No. How it reaches. Yes. You're finding a lot of companies that are coming here don't engage the community really well. Right. So under the guise of them being able to put in the finance, mm -hmm. they, they, they say they have to take a lot of 
control of a project, yes. they will tell you, and you can imagine a community that doesn't have money, someone is telling you, I'm going to give you 100 shillings per tree yeah. that you grow and continue maintaining. Yes. On the other end, they're making 1,000 sh- shillings a day. So that's been part of the criticism mm-hmm. where, yes, the capital does flow. Yes. There are no clear frameworks of how you create accountability frameworks. Mm-hmm. Who are these people who invest? Right. If you're having a company from the states coming, or even any, uh, any organization coming to put in money to support the project, mm-hmm. how do you ensure that it's within the right frameworks? How are you protecting the community? Mm-hmm. How are you ensuring that you're in adherence with the carbon regulations of the country? How are you... Because the government, this is an activity at the end of the day that might be eligible for taxation. Conversation for another day. But, oh, gosh. But then how do you make sure that if a government wants to take a more proactive step at this, yes. how do you work around that? So those are some of the challenges that work around that. Mm-hmm. But on the general of it, mm-hmm. there has been a lot of capital that comes into the space and it's been projected, like I think, by 2030. We can have an annual basis as a continent yes, up to $30 billion coming in to support these initiatives. Wow. You've had companies like... Countries like UAE committing up to 4.5 billion to support mm-hmm. initiatives of this nature. They've even worked with several governments. Zimbabwe, they inked a deal with our government as mm-hmm. well to support such kind of projects. So you're seeing money coming in. Yeah. Will that money trickle down to the community? It's a different story it's a altogether. Different story altogether. Okay. Now it sounds like there's a lot of capitalism, capital investment, significant capital investment. Actually, um, we're commercializing everything, even CO2. <laughs> Uh, I will look at this question two-pronged. Yes, we are capitalized. We are almost commercializing everything. The unfortunate bit of the things is most countries don't live in a communist state. And that can be another philosophical discussion. Most countries are by nature capitalistic. Okay. And that gives two options. Yes. By the nature of them being capitalistic, you then have an incentive structure. Yes to support initiatives such as carbon markets. Because then you're having a framework that almost makes players such as that put in the money where it's needed yes. to support initiatives. So it's that capitalistic framework that then almost creates like a sustainable framework that attracts capital to the continent. Okay. The other side will be, it's because of this capitalistic, the capitalist grid is what has led to people destroying mm. our environment. Mm-hmm. The quest towards getting more has led to us then destroying our environment. And that in itself is something that needs to be corrected. Mm. How do you do that? I, I usually have been the system to beat the system. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always believe that. Like yes. Even with, with, with politicians, it's unfortunate even in Kenya when someone goes into politics and then they get absorbed into the system. Yes. It's unfortunate, but... You can't be a person who goes out in the streets when a pig kelele, when mm. a manini, then you're not I taking I think we have a, seen quite examples of, yeah. yeah. So just being able to take a proactive step and being accountable and creating frameworks that keep everyone accountable. The difference with that in politics is no one is keeping anyone accountable. Right. But within a capitalistic framework, you have an incentive to keep everyone accountable. You have a company in the States that have clients that are very conscious about ESG. Yes. You don't support frameworks around that. You lose your customers. So they're incentivized to then be able to support frameworks like this. So it, it works both ways. Those Capital are very is, proactive consumers at that yeah, point. Yes. Yeah. So you you have almost have an incentive structure, but at mm-hmm. the same time, the thing that is creating the incentive structure is the is thing that caused the causes, problem in the, yeah, fa- in the first place. In the first place. So you, you have to sort of figure out a clear area. It's a very complicated field. Uh, and I know there are not enough solutions around it. You can argue from either side of the uh, mm-hmm. table, mm-hmm. 
but I almost feel like th- this is why discussions like this are very important. Right. Just sort of shine a light of how things are working. Mm-hmm. Be cognizant mm-hmm. of the things that can be done better. Acknowledge and figure out what are the things that are being done that are actually good yes. that we can scale and take to areas where it has actually needed. All right. Now, um, at an individual level, how can I sort of earn carbon credits? I know you've mentioned that point of um, we sort of, the economies of skill are a bit difficult at this point in time. Mm-hmm. You sort of aggregate these people who have these different activities or different um, lands that they're trying to plant trees. But is there something that a normal individual just like myself, uh, probably someone who doesn't even own land, can do my own small part and earn carbon credits or maybe sort of try offset it or in some sort of way? Okay. On the getting of carbon credits, yeah. Unless you're we're not there yet, we're not there yet. Like there's a lot that can be done. There mm-hmm. are some people, if you look at it as tiers, the people who have significant tracts of land, and they can be the first people mm-hmm. towards trying to get these initiatives. Yes. So I don't want to exclude them in this. Yes. If you're doing some of these projects at scale, mm-hmm. then you can be the first people who sort of even pilot these projects to mm-hmm. show that it can actually work. Mm-hmm. On the offset side, however. There's a lot of push towards individuals being conscious of their carbon footprint. Okay. The food you eat. Yes. Okay. Transportation, <laughs> mm-hmm. waste management, uh, water, like most of the things that you're doing at your own individual level, mm-hmm. there are tools that can support you in doing that. There are a lot of carbon calculators. I know mm-hmm. guys in Strathmore who've created a calculator. Shout out to you guys. <laughs> Give me 10% equity of your company. Uh-huh. Anyways, there are guys who are actually doing these kind of things. Yes. And they have tried to help you. If you're at an individual level, you can plug in what car you use, mm-hmm. distance, etc. And if you want to just, not because you're compelled, mm-hmm. but because you just want to, because uh, charity begins at home. Right. If you start saying, oh, these guys are not the ones who are supposed to do this, I don't need to do it, then it becomes a chicken and egg conversation. Mm-hmm. But at an individual level, if you want to offset your footprint, then you can start at trying to understand how much do I yeah. emit, what's my footprint as an individual, as Brian. Yeah. Then there are frameworks. Vast Carbon is looking to get into that space. The other mm-hmm. players in international markets who offer you a framework where you can say my footprint is 1.5 yeah. tons of CO2. The equivalent for you to offset that would be to buy 1.5 carbon credits. Mm-hmm. You find a marketplace, do that, and no one will compel you to, to do your balancing accounting, yes. but at an individual level, you know that you're not going to be part of the problem. Yes, you're actually so part of a solution. Part of a solution. Yeah. So I almost feel like that is a step that most people are taking. You're yes. seeing a lot of it happening in Western countries. Mm-hmm. Your flights these days, there's something called COSIA. Mm-hmm. Because of my goldfish brain, I've <laughs> forgotten what that means. Yes. It's, in the, it's in the aviation space. Yes. The framework that allows you to, when booking a ticket, yes. you're told this flight will contribute this amount to your footprint. Do okay. you want to pay extra to offset to it offset so it. that collectively the association of these guys in the flying space yes. are then able to take that money and support initiatives that will go to offset the footprint. The carbon footprint. It's one of the key success stories around uh, wow. airline companies especially, creating a framework that supports that. Okay, fantastic. Now that's for uh, individuals or at an individual level. How about for organizations? Is this now where the carbon audit comes into place? Yes, yes. So there are things called... Scope one, scope two, scope three. I want you to be able to, when you're talking to your <laughs> okay. friends. Okay, scope one, scope, scope two, scope, scope three. Don't forget that. Yes. So scope one is emission coming directly from your own activities. 
scope two is somewhere down your value chain and then scope three is things like when you're taking flights and you want to be able to offset okay around that so when you need to do your carbon carbon audit take any company i don't want to mention names so mm-hmm. you can take a more proactive role at quantifying what your scope one scope two scope three emissions are okay through a process that you call the carbon audit okay so looking at how many staff do i have what are our cars electricity consumption how much of that is green how much of that is not mm-hmm. printing all those things there's a whole framework that supports you to do your carbon audit mm-hmm. then you can take a proactive role there are countries like south africa yes for instance in africa has taken a carbon tax framework where wow. they they're trying to be proactive towards asking their organizations mm-hmm to be more ESG conscious. Mm-hmm. So in doing so they're putting a carbon tax where they're saying if you do not adopt certain practices by a certain year, yes, we will now be charging you x percent of, on your, your, of your revenue. Wow. Until you start they give you a threshold, yes. they will come do an audit themselves. Yes. It's a national program yes. that they will do an every company will have to go through a national carbon audit, submit that to the government, you'll be given over the last 5 years or 10 years we are allowing you to emit up to this cap anything above that you have to offset if you don't we charge you we charge you so they're trying to implement frameworks such as that in the US in Europe it's been more proactive so you're seeing yeah. a lot of even outside the policy mm-hmm. consumers around there are more proactive so they're demanding that of the companies so yes. you have to say if i'm buying coffee it is my company is carbon neutral you're seeing companies like amazon trying to be carbon neutral in the yes. entire value chain so at an organization level we might not be there yet but you don't have to wait for you to be compelled yeah. you can take we that we are not waiting for policies and laws yes. and yeah so the one option could be just try do your carbon audit right and be a responsible organization simple That's as one that thing. the challenge with that and the discussion that goes on the other side of the coin is that the people that are asking us to stop these things they got to where they did by doing do, the same thing things you're telling me to stop, to stop doing. yeah and Renewable energy is not cheap. For instance, if you're asking guys to stop using fossil fuel generators, to, yes. you're asking them to transition into solar. It is not a cheap endeavor. Actually, I feel like everything that we discuss in terms of sustainability, climate change, um, actions that mitigate that, nothing is cheap. They're It's all very cheap. expensive. Yes, and it will affect your bottom line. Remember, these companies are revenue-generating organizations in the capitalistic framework. So you're trying to ask them to forego their profits. to support an initiative that in all reality they think we, we've not even hit our cap yeah, as a developing so, country yeah, not yeah. there so why are you asking me to do that start taking those policies to the western guys when they do it come then, then tell come, me come talk to me and yeah. i i think it's a fair point i cannot argue against that mm-hmm. but just depending on where you come from and what what you think is important to you i'm a parent i try to do that we are trying to do our carbon audit as a company as mm-hmm. well to just mm-hmm. understand that and take a proactive role at of setting that we're trying to figure out how we will leverage carbon markets mm-hmm. and make the discussion more inclusive because we are participating on it more from the supply side mm-hmm. which is very much needed but organizations if you want to then start being proactive in this space start considering your carbon footprint and what you can do towards this or alternatively invest in projects you do a lot of csrs mm-hmm. to support organizations mm-hmm. support projects that will then get into carbon markets you make it a sustainable initiative yes. you don't have to every year put aside part of your budget to support csr initiatives yes. when you're supporting a tree planting initiative go all the way to make sure that 
you've registered it in a carbon credit program mm-hmm. so that over the, some three uh, forestry projects mm-hmm. go 20 to 30 years you're having carbon credits for 20 to 30 years wow that's Just a very like sustainable that, yeah. model in, in 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 my head so yeah. if you're the safari comes of this world EABL, etc channel those towards initiatives like that and consider carbon angle mm-hmm. and let them to just start saying you can do that if you're a bank how do you consider offering the necessary capital loans to support initiatives such as that because mm-hmm. then this will make the process budding uh, a very growing initiative you don't have to depend on outside capital yes. to support initiatives in your own country in your own country yeah to then contribute to the climate conversation you can start being a proactive player at offering that capital the very mm-hmm. much needed capital mm-hmm. yes I will stop at that unless you have any questions further <laughs> no. to that. <laughs> no, you've mentioned a, a, an interesting point um, which sort of connects to a question that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that organizations should be able to also start looking at carbon as an asset. Mm-hmm. How exactly do they do this? Good. The first people I will target are financial institutions, specifically banks. Okay. Not where I thought you'd go with this. Okay. I will start with that because I feel they play a very critical mm-hmm, role. Mm-hmm. Most of the funding you're getting to support these projects are coming from international banks because they've looked at this concept of carbon credits. Yes. As a business, forgetting about what it can do to the economy. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. You put in a capital inlay initially, follow a certain practice, you have consistent cash flows coming over the next 10, 20, 30, depending on the project that you're running. Yes. So... The proactive step you should do is understand the risks associated with a project like this. Look at it like an asset. The same way you look at credit. Mm-hmm. Banks are in the business of offering credit to individuals, to organizations. There are people who might run away with that money. That's why you have risk frameworks to do a very mm-hmm. clear assessment of mm-hmm. what's the risk of the people that we are supporting. Mm-hmm. And they have a very clear understanding of that. There are even policies that support that. But on the carbon side, I don't think organizations have a pretty good idea of what it is to look at carbon as an as an investable asset class, yeah. uh, like bonds, stocks, etc. If financial institutions, specifically banks, do that, we have a lot of capital that we can deploy mm-hmm. to support initiatives within your countries to then take the step forward. Because attracting that capital is not easy. We go through a lot of loops. Trust me, I'm supporting a number of projects from the continent. Yes. And the DD process from international investors is a perceived risk of already investing in Africa. Mm-hmm. And you know, this, this is a perceived risk. If, if you get into the understanding of it, it's not as, as risky as you think. Yes. So that's one angle I would really urge banks and financial institutions to consider. Did, yeah. Other organizations, you can look at it as an asset class. The same way you invest, if you're putting a portfolio of investment, you're investing in bonds, you're investing in stocks, you can start putting an investment towards this. Carbon as an ecosystem is growing. Okay. And if you're looking at where it's supposed to go and where all these governments, organizations, mm-hmm. like I can almost say, right now, most people have had carbon, carbon, carbon. And yeah. I usually have friends and they think, because I'm in the carbon space, they think I'm going to make a lot of money. That's the perception out there. Yes. So it is a, a field that needs to be understood. And if you want to look at it, even as an asset to put into your balance sheet, yes. it's something that over the next few years, it starts growing. Okay. So you as an organization, you don't have to be a financial institution. Mm-hmm. Offer financial incentives, start considering buying these carbon credits. Regulation will soon start catching up on us. Mm-hmm. As an organization, the sooner you start being aware, the better it is for you. It positions you better in the marketplace. You don't have to be 
you can even use it as an edge against your competitors if you start mm. being forward thinking knowing yeah. that this is a conversation that's going to come. Yeah. So let me start anticipating these, put the right frameworks to my carbon audit, have a clear framework of how I support things like this. Three, five years from now when people are starting to be more conscious, you're using it as a leverage to sh- differentiate yourself from the competitor. So that's another angle I'll look at telling organizations. Carbon is... Is, is indeed an asset. Is an asset, yes. Um, in that case, are carbon credits a preserve of just big organizations and companies now? Now, yes. Now, yes. Now, yes. Unfortunately, yes. Most of the people, the capital is coming because the people who understood this piece mm-hmm. are not a lot. Like There's a lot of capacity building that needs to be done to upskill mm-hmm. not only corporates but individuals who are take, undertaking mm-hmm. these activities. So the ones that are aware are very few. Mm-hmm. And they've mostly been big organizations or individuals who are doing projects at scale. Yes. So right now, yes, most projects are making money at the large organizations. Will it continue being that way? No. Okay. There are a lot of community-led initiatives that are getting into. Land ownership is a very big thing in carbon markets. Right. Most land, at least I'll speak for the country, mm-hmm. are either government-owned or community-owned land. Mm-hmm. That community-owned land can then start, if you undertake a carbon project, that money can start going towards mm. the community. And there are projects within the continent as a whole that have undertaken initiatives such as this. So in the coming years, policy is heading there. Different players are coming into the space to make it a more inclusive and have clear benefit-sharing mechanisms. Because when you do that, then everyone starts yes. understanding why this is important. And you can actually Correct. see... Yeah where that money is coming. I think so too. We will wrap it there for part one of this episode and bask again in the glory and knowledge of carbon credits. Check out BC on Instagram and X at TBC Podcast KE. Share this episode and subscribe. Tune in again in a fortnight for part two. I've been your host, Ella. This has been Carbon Credits in Mitigating Climate Change. Let's journey together.